Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. To the house of pod yeah i'm kabe i'm lizzie did i tell you that i talked to someone recently and they told me your um co-host really tolerates your intros well <laughs> i appreciate that i accept that compliment and also enjoy that it's a little bit of a dig on you and your although today you didn't screech and pierce and shrill as loud as you normally do into my ear holes so i um also appreciate you today well, there's people sleeping um, there's something I wanted to talk to you about. Have you seen this Washington Post survey about healthcare workers getting the vaccine? I have not. Let me let me run it, it down for you and get your thoughts on this. So basically, they took this big survey of uh, all all these frontline healthcare workers, asking them have they been vaccinated, gotten at least one dose. Um, if not, you know, why not? Have they been scheduled? Are they planning on it? If they weren't going to do it, what were the reasons, etc. So here are some stats. 52% of frontline healthcare workers say they received at least one dose of vaccine. What do you think about that number? Is that where you expect it to be? In early March, um, talking early March. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume this is very recent so that all, and we maybe should take a step back. What's the definition of frontline healthcare worker? Because I think at this point in March of 2021, that every single healthcare worker, whether you're on the front lines as an emergency room, physician, nurse, technician, blood draw versus someone in the office who's doing telehealth that I think every healthcare worker at this point has actually been given the opportunity, but uh, to get the vaccine, but 52% for one shot, I'd like to hear the yeah. number for two shots, but that is remarkably uh, lower than I would have hoped. And that I would have, I would have, I wish you had just actually, I would like to start over. And then you asked me what I would guess. I would have said, 80% really, yeah, I think right, that's right, right. so low. That's what a 
good host would have done. Um, <laughs> no, I just say that's not on brand. So, no. so, you know, they're talking about people who work in hospitals, but also outpatient clinics and those in nursing homes or assisted care facilities or home health care workers. Actually, yeah, only, so everyone, yeah. Only 50% of people working in nursing homes or assisted care facilities have been vaccinated and only about 25% of home health care workers have been vaccinated. Mm. So Terrible. here's some more numbers of the unvaccinated group of frontline health care workers. There's about 3% that say they have it scheduled. There's about mm. 15% who are saying they haven't, but they haven't scheduled it, but they're planning on getting it. That's something I, I feel like mm-hmm. I hear a lot. Right. Um, and 12% are not sure if they're going to get it. And 18% of healthcare workers do not plan on getting it. Mm. So did they say why, or that wasn't part yeah, of the survey? Yeah. They're, they're worried about side effects and it being rushed. Mm. The, the same sorts of things generally that we hear from the public, um, the general public, but yeah, that's the, the major thing. And among frontline healthcare workers, half of black workers, 45% of workers without a college degree and four in 10 Republicans are in that that latter group mm-hmm. so it, it's it is a bit uh it, it does concern me a bit because <laughs> you know if we as a in the healthcare field are at you know 50 ish percent this far into the game you know uh, what's that going to say about the rest of society you know it, and if we don't nip this in the bud and we don't get people on board doing this then what that means is we have to start like vaccinating kids just to get the sheer numbers that we need to reach herd immunity. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's just insane. I think then they, then those people who haven't gotten it just aren't taking care of patients. <laughs> like, you know, you can't live in the hospital and have had this fear this past year and work in the hospital and take care of patients. And again, just this fear of, of COVID and not want the vaccine, you know, um, or you're not, they're helping people get their vaccines because then you see how happy people are and you see how well tolerated it is. And I wonder also if there's an infrastructure issue. So these people who say they're planning on getting it, like what, where is that gap? You know, for, for me, I was in the place of my work and I was at work on the fourth floor and they were giving vaccines on the first floor. So I just went there, Yeah. you know, and, and what's the infrastructure obstacles or hurdles that, that it's not just the easiest thing in the world. Like the same way you go pick up your scrubs or pick up your lunch should be the same thing for the vaccine. So I wonder if there's, again, some sort of process issue, you know, like some sort of systemic thing like that they, you know, that they have to commute, for example. A commute is a deal breaker for some people. So, well, I mean, I didn't read it in, in, in this survey that that was a major factor it seemed like the majority, like 80% or so, if I remember correctly, were basically fear of side effects or that they felt this was rushed too much. So it was a choice, an active choice. Yeah. Like, in, And I think even in those situations, if someone came, maybe it'd be different if someone came to your office and was like, hey, we have our card here. Do you want us to right. be shot right now? I mean, that might change things a little bit, but I don't know by how much. But I just don't, you know, the argument, and we could talk about this or maybe have someone on the show, but saying it's rushed, I guess, you know, maybe, but but at this point, millions of yeah. people all over the world have gotten it. So you're still doubting it? Like we have we have data now. And even if you don't think it's going to make you immune to COVID, 
you see that people are still alive with very yeah. few side effects. And in fact, there's some data that says the brain fog and all the terrible effects of COVID, some of those um, long haul symptoms are going away once you get the vaccine. I hope yeah. it's not just a coincidence, but that's, this is, this is data, you know, I don't know the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've talked about this before, and it's and it's true. It did come fast, but it's not like this totally came out of left field, and no one's ever looked at these sorts of things before. We had some background in it. They had looked at SARS, you know, 13 years ago, whenever that was. We had started the process with that, and then on top of that, you know, if you throw enough money at something like we did, you're gonna get answers sooner. And plus, there were so many people. This this virus was so universal and so easy to find that it became easy to find test subjects, which is a major roadblock in a lot of studies, yeah. which makes some studies go long is finding the number of subjects to, to make it work. In this case, we didn't have that problem because we had so many people getting this thing. So yeah. I will say this though, I have had a couple of instances where I'm either talking to patients or I'm talking to coworkers or I'm talking to lay people and I've had the chance to go over that stuff with them. And at least a couple of them, you know, are telling me that they're sort of changing their mind about it. Maybe they're just saying that so we end the conversation. But like, I, I, I do believe it. I do think with time, we just have to keep pushing it. We just have to keep pushing it and, and showing people that's okay and pushing the data and fighting the, the misinformation. If we keep doing that, I do think the numbers are going to go up, but I am a little worried. I don't love these numbers as I see them. No, we should be the role models for society. The healthcare yeah. worker people should be getting, yeah. we should be over 80%. And we'll just plug again, I guess, if you have the opportunity to get any of the vaccines, I still think at this moment in time, AstraZeneca, apparently there needs to be more data. I don't think it's uh, a, a green light based on like Dr. Fauci at this moment in time. But if you have any opportunity to get any other vaccine that's recommended them. by your doctor, get yeah. your arm, get your roll up your sleeve and get the shot. Like that's, that's what I tell all my patients. If they ask me, should I, I say yes. They say, which one? I say any. <laughs> any of them. Very okay. easy conversation. All right. Very good. Very good. Okay. Let's uh, get ready for our, our guest uh, real quick. I got a lot of thank yous to give out this time around. First of all, thank you as always to Nadim um, for helping us get these episodes out there. I also want to give a special thank you to a couple of my friends, a Wei Lu and a Mark Gasway, both of which have been on the show before in the past. It's been a really tough year for everyone. It's been a bad year. And these two guys have just been there for me through the whole thing. So thanks guys. Uh, and I also want to thank Stephanie Jansen. She had me on her fireside show. It's a new streaming sort of social media things like clubhouse, really fun show. If you get a chance, please check out Stephanie Jansen's show on fireside. Also Layla Shamd. Uh, she has a show called Chai in Conversation. It's about Persian culture. So she had me on to talk about Persian culture and who wears the pants in my family. Spoiler alert, I'm not wearing any pants. And lastly, uh, thank you to the fine folks at Behind the Bastards. I was just on a recent episode there. It was super fun, super fun. Anyways, stay tuned. Coming up next, we have a comedian that I really like, Keith Lowell Jensen. He's going to talk to us about his comedy, his stand-up, his medical issues, and punching Nazis. Stay tuned.
welcome back today we have a guest i'm very excited to have on he is a comedian in sacramento his name is keith lowell jensen lowell sorry keith lowell jensen he is not only a comedian he is an author author of the book punching nazis and he has eight comedy albums you can hear them at amazon spotify and a ton of other places we'll provide you guys links to that and we are really grateful for him to be on the show with us today how you doing i'm doing good let me clarify it's punching nazis and other good ideas. I think that's what gives the title. Some. <laughs> you're right. Punch. You're right. I, I didn't. Make, that's true. There was you crafted it in in a perfect way, and I ruined that uh, bit for you. I apologize. <laughs> you did I apologize. I'm sorry. It ruins everything. That's uh, a great title for a book, though. Have you, you ever punched? It, have you ever punched a Nazi? No. It's just and a good I'm, idea. And yeah. I'm, I just think it's a good idea. I wrote the book from a fan perspective. It's like if a basketball fan wrote a book about basketball. I, yeah. I don't watch basketball, but I love a good Nazi punching. <laughs> that would be I a sport watched, I would watch. That would be I a just great watched a, a great documentary that I, I have to recommend called Turn It Around, the story of East Bay Punk. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Oh, my God. There's this great scene in there where all these different people who were involved are describing the night that Nazis tried to take over Gilman Street and yeah. all the nerdy little punk rock kids at Gilman beat the ever-living tar out of the Nazis. Oh my God, like, I would love to see that. Hitting them with skateboards and baseball bats. Yeah. So it's like all Operation Operation Ivy, like Green Day sort of scene. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, it's that's about like Green Day's on. roots, right? Like I think yeah. I, re- I remember when it came out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It's about a, it's about a lot more than that. But the right. fact that Green Day produced it, yeah, I guess that's a pretty big part of the story. <laughs> I forgot that. Um, well, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, um, thanks for having me. And tell us, you know, what you've been doing this last year as a professional comedian, how you are making this year work for you. How do you do comedy from home during a pandemic? It's so weird. I wrote another book. Oh, that was the first thing I did. I I wrote a book that Clash Books is going to publish in December called What I Was Arrested For. (laughs) And it's that's the comedy show that I'm currently working on, because my last few hours have been kind of themed. Mm -hmm. And so when the pandemic hit, I was working on two themed shows. One is me and, and Johnny Taylor, who I work with a lot. We were doing a show together where we told road stories. And then I was working on a show about all the times I've been arrested, uh, which are hilarious because I never get arrested for uh, stuff that isn't funny. I get arrested for good (laughs) stuff, good, funny stuff. How Um, many times? Oh, I mean, I say I get arrested a lot, but I get arrested a lot considering I'm a sober white guy. (laughs) Um, You know, it's kind of like in dog years, like. (laughs) <laughs> the dogs old, but they're old in dog years. I get arrested a lot in sober white guy years. Right, right. Um, that so sounds I just, about five times. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And I also write about all the other run-ins I've had with police where I didn't get arrested. Some of which are very white. I mean, situations where I should clearly have been arrested and wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty wild, you know. Um, yeah. In fact, one time. Uh, I called some cops Nazis <laughs> from a subject again from on stage because it was like kind of a German themed party and we were playing at it. And I said, well, thanks to the cops for sticking with the theme and acting like a bunch of Nazis. Am I allowed to curse on this show? I didn't yeah, yes. Oh, good. And act like a bunch of fucking Nazis. 
Well, and, I'm just curious what they like least being called Nazis or pigs. Like, what do you think right, would trigger right. them? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's do the research. That'll be my next. <laughs> uh, they put me in their car, and then the boss shows up, and he's this older black dude, and he says, "Why do you got the kid in the car?" And they said, ah, "I was young. Why do you got the kid in the car?" They said, "Oh, he called us Nazis," and they were really excited. They were like, "He called us Nazis," and the the older cop goes. He's uh he's allowed to call us Nazis. Please get him get him out of the car. And the guy goes, well, can I give him a ride first? And I'm like, what's what is that? Like that sounds bad, right? Can I give him a ride? I was like, no, no ride. Yeah, it sounds like something and with the, a baton. Right. And again, the cop goes, No, you can't give him a ride. And I was just like, Oh, thank God it's this black cop working that night who has to deal with these Yahoos day in and day out before he knows what maniacs they are. Where was that? Where did that happen? That was in Sacramento. It sounds like you've been creative. You've been able to to work during this time. I mean, yeah, and I've been doing like Zoom shows and stuff too. That's got to be weird. I mean, I have seen a couple it's Zoom so shows weird. because, I mean, you don't hear people laughing, right? I mean, so much you, of your no, the good ones you that. do, the okay. good ones you do. Okay, I, I was, and I've done some great ones um, that were really well organized. Both Samuel Bade and Turner Sparks are comedians that are doing it well. Yeah, we know Turner Sparks. Actually, Lizzie was on his show, yeah. Lost in America. As Johnny oh, cool. Cooper was on our show too, actually. Yeah. yeah. And that's the guy that brought me to China. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The best. Um, yeah, he puts on a really good, it's the crowd is all like over 80, but <laughs> it was like that when I worked live with him, he would do these country club shows with all these old people. It was fun, but I did one that was a benefit for a union. And so I was like, oh, cool union folks, you know, yeah, yeah. and I love union folks. Those are my people, but they were rowdy. <laughs> so they turned all their, uh, microphones on with no supervision. <laughs> So I'm just one more voice in a crowd of people yelling at each other. Like, hey, Frank, did you get the thing on the right? And I'm in there going, hey, I got a joke, everybody. I got a joke. And so that was, uh, you know, it was miserable, but I got yeah. paid for it. So that was all right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, well, that's good that you've been able to like still do your craft. I mean, do you kind of, kind of enough with an asterisk? Right? Yeah. When, when do you think you'll feel comfortable getting back to the clubs? Not until I'm vaccinated. Yeah. I how, how low on the list are you? Are you last? Uh, you know, it's one of those things I could probably get it tomorrow if I went and, and pushed that I'm a teacher because I teach comedy classes oh. uh, both at the punchline and at uh, a group that does uh, art classes and stuff for homeless youth. Um, and so if I used that, I'm a teacher because I have friends that teach guitar and stuff and they've gotten yeah. the shot by yeah. saying they're a teacher. So, um, but I don't know, for some reason, I feel weird about it. Like if they call me to get the shot, I'm going to go get it immediately and I'm not going to question it, but yeah, calling them and being like, you know, you, you know, I, I would say, here's what I would say is we're, we're coming to a point right now where the supply is, is not going to be the issue. It's going to be the demand it, and, and, and it's every shot that goes into an arm is better for your community. It helps. Yeah. It helps. Every little bit helps. It helps the overall fight. So it's not a selfish thing to do. You're not lying. Um, right. You know, maybe not... some part of me doesn't want to leave the house. <laughs> maybe oh. I've gotten used to this. I, I thought you're going to say maybe some part of you doesn't want the vaccine. And we're going to say, 
No, we don't agree with that. No, I'm 100% pro vaccine. Yeah. My daughter, I told him, give her two of everything. Yeah. Double up. Well, uh, I'm not I one of those nutters. It sounds like you're hesitant to go get the vaccine because you just feel like you're trying to have integrity about it, which is yeah. super cool. And we respect it. But if you make that call, you know, and say you're a teacher, that's not a lie. You know, yeah. they don't need to ask True. you yeah. if they ask you specifics again, you're clearly not someone who's going to lie about it, but right. you know, unfortunately there are days where I think that they take some of these vaccines out and by the and end they, of the day, to toss them. yeah, I don't, I haven't heard no. of too much tossing, but I have heard of people kind of ending the day saying to people on the street, Hey, we got vaccines. If you're, if you're here picking your, your friend, yeah. your partner up, can you please come inside? And like, right. it'll be a free for all. So I'm just saying, maybe and go you can get on the lists. Yeah, yeah, you can get on a waitlist to get true. Yeah, to get those. Yeah. So, um, well, it, there's but, also another factor here, which is that you have some medical history, which you know might predispose you to worse illness. For example, if you're on certain medications, do you you're pretty open about that? Do you yeah. mind telling us a little bit about your own medical history? All right, get comfortable. Let's yeah, yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> No, I don't have that much going on, but I, I have ulcerative colitis and I don't know if that one will, would affect this or not. Um, I take Lialda and Mercaptopurine, both of which doctors are always surprised. Uh, gastroenterologists are surprised when they hear I'm still taking those. I guess they're a little dated. No, they still work. I mean, it's true. They work for me. And yeah, I try yeah. like, yeah, I, I put off taking the medication for as long as my doctor would let me. I acted on my doctor's <laughs> advice. But I said, with your permission, I would like to try all these other things first. And he said, sure. And then after a while, I got down to like, you know, 180 pounds, which for me is, I, I looked really bad. And he was like, time to take the drugs, Keith. And then they worked beautifully. I was like, why yeah. didn't I just do this to begin with? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are good. It's a good regimen. I mean, it's, you probably maybe don't need the Lialdo. That's, that's debatable. But um, no, I do. Know. If I go off of it, I feel it. it everything tanks. Yeah. I have a patient just like that, but, um, and six more captopurine, you know, it's just like, it's a pill every day. And, and right. these days people are kind of going more towards the injectable stuff. It's a little bit oh, okay. sometimes easier on your lifestyle. Like it's, you know, every two weeks, every four weeks, every eight weeks, and you're taking a pill every day. And, you know, for our patients who drink a lot, we kind of caution them against that. So it really depends on, um, it's a lot of lifestyle choices. And as you know, you yeah. need to get blood work every three months on that pill. So, you know, there's just, yeah. uh-oh, uh-oh. Every three months, the blood work. Uh-oh. Right. Anyway, there's just like lifestyle choices <laughs> that end up and, you know, severity of disease that it's it's a conversation. There's no one path for, you any know, any- relationship to, uh, to uh, COVID-19? Any complications there or- No. With ulcerative colitis or the medication yeah. or both? Either. Not that no. we know of. Yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it. Um, yeah. We're telling the, our patients to get vaccines like people the, like you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, there is a, a recent episode that we just did with uh, Dr. Mahadevan. Uh, she is like one of the world's leading experts in inflammatory bowel disease. It's uh, episode 111, I think, recently. So if people have questions about ulcerative colitis and want to drill down into it some more, including some discussion about getting vaccines in these situations, check that one out. But the long and the short of it is we do, we, we're generally recommending it. Um, there's, there's very few cases when we say, okay, maybe you should hold off on getting the vaccine. Um, and, and I don't, nothing I'm hearing in yours makes me think that. So I, I would, I would recommend yeah. it. Uh, I also have asthma 
but it's fairly mild. But I know that that one would be relevant. Um, just meaning that the COVID might be more yeah. serious if I get it. Um, and do I have anything else? Um, <laughs> I have, I have, I would say mild to moderate hypochondria. <laughs> if, well, you, you mentioned ADHD to me before. Oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot. I'm thinking more of like physical things. Yeah. I have fairly yeah. severe ADHD. How do you, how do you, actually, I want to go back to the ulcerative colitis, but before we do, how do you manage your ADHD? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met this guy named Felix. And he has a, a van and some drugs. Yeah. Right. Felix was the first person I ever met who just real openly went, oh yeah, I have ADHD. So I do this and I have ADHD. And I started thinking differently around that time. So it helped me in my relationship where I would tell my wife, look, I can do the dishes and I can do the cooking. I, I can't go clean the living room because I walk in the living room and it's too chaotic and there's, I can't, I don't know where to start and I get lost, but I can stand in one spot at the sink and just wash dishes and listen to music right. all right. day and I'll cook all day. Cause right. yeah, like, and actually just recognizing I, I was diagnosed with they, I don't know if they called it ADHD back then. They just called it hyperactivity disorder. When it they used, talked to, it used me, to be but... ADD for okay. many years before ADHD. Yeah. So I was diagnosed in the, it would have been the early eighties, like probably around 82 when I was in fourth grade, uh, like I think between third and fourth grade. Um, and yet it took until I was in my thirties to go, oh, I have this thing. Maybe I should instead of just hitting my head against a wall, try to do some things differently than I otherwise do them. I never took the medication. They tried to give me Ritalin. And I guess I do have some weird, I don't intellectually have any pill hesitancy. I'm pro medicine, but I guess I do have some like subconscious pill hesitancy mm -hmm. since I was a child. And I refused to take the Ritalin. It was a big fight with my parents. I took it once or twice and it, it made me feel horrible. But the funny thing is that's what, not why I didn't want to take it. My insistence on not taking it came before actually trying it. Um, so I drink coffee to the point where I can honestly say coffee is my hobby. Like mm -hmm. I'm into it. Like yeah. I put work into my drinking <laughs> coffee. <laughs> and I've always wondered if there's a self-medicating aspect to that. Mm, mm, mm. That's Which, well, that definitely is a really good question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, people say, you know, Ritalin and kids who use no dose and, you know, when they're staying up all night and pulling all nighters and that's a, a substance that gives them an edge. Is it the same thing as athletes using hormones? And then an, a, a counter argument for that is, yeah, but what is coffee? It's, it is, it's an upper, it's in a, you know, to focus. And that's what Ritalin is supposed to do. So I've heard debates that they're, they're not that different from one another. So, so maybe my, you are Ritalining, Ritalining yourself with coffee. My it, it, brothers would chop up my Ritalin and sell it to their friends. Oh, nice. True yeah. story. And, and, sure. and they would come back for more. They liked it. They yeah, it, yeah. It gave the desired effect. Yeah. 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 No, well, it's interesting. In college, you, said, you did it just for helping yeah. them study for tests. For kids. Yeah. For yeah. Kids. yeah. But it's interesting. You said that you had a different perspective of your ADHD just from a conversation with a friend or a peer of yours. And honestly, and that's why we ask our guests and you, and like, yeah. that's why we do the show to like, you know, if you talk about something, it no longer feels that foreign and you have insight maybe into your own illness, whether it's, you know, more psychological or your body, you know, and 
and it does destigmatize it and help, you know, yeah. people seek treatment and have conversations. Yeah. And it was neat hearing him just so like, I was never ashamed of it. I just didn't use it to plan the way I did things. And to hear him so casually just be like, oh yeah, with me and my wife, because my ADHD, it's better if I do this and do that. And he, I was like, oh, you can do that. You can just plan around your, your thing yeah. as if it's a legitimate thing. And <laughs> right, right. yeah, really, I, I think it, it helped my relationship a lot too. Like uh, it helped me and my wife to be able to manage our lives together to be able to yeah. go, oh yeah, I have that thing. Remember not yeah. an excuse. Like I still have to do my share, but my share might be different. It might be cut out according to me being uh, a spaz. <laughs> that's what we used to call it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I got called that a couple of times. That's medical. Um, yeah. It's right. I, I medical. thought so. Yeah. It sounds like uh, you have some insight. I mean, even though you kind of uh, have a lot of hesitancy about taking medication um, and you've been resistant to it. I think the thing that's really important though, is you at least have a little insight into that. I think that's patients that we can work with. Like um, the patient that just tells me honestly, like, look, I really just don't like taking medication. I'll do it. Uh, but can we try this other stuff first? Or can we do this other things? And, you know, those are people who I can talk to and I can, I can right. work with. I can, I can be like, look here, we can do all these things. This is how I think it's going to play out. This is what I think you need. But at the end of the day, like um, as long as the patient seems to understand that those basic concepts of why we're doing it, why I'm recommending it, you know, we can work with that. This is, you're a patient we could work with, you know what I mean? Right. And that was like, when I told my doctor, I was like, at the end of the day, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And yeah. he, and, and he you... was, he was cool with working with me on that. And I tried things that I personally don't believe in. I'm an atheist. I'm a skeptic. I went and tried uh, acupuncture, but I was like, if I can get some relief, that's placebo, bring on the placebo. <laughs> I relieves relief. And that was for the colitis. i you know, yeah, and yeah. I'm actually glad I did acupuncture because it was neat. It was interesting. <laughs> it was it's yeah, yeah. bullshit, but it was interesting. <laughs> I believe there's a purpose for acupuncture, although I've never gotten it. I do think it sounds really cool. Um, but I want to know, you said like, even as a kid, you were kind of anti-pill, anti-Ritalin before you ever took it. What do you, where do you think that comes from? Like, why would you have, is that from your parents? Is that some no. experience, a movie? What, like, what is that about? Do you think? Okay. I, I can't honestly say that I know, but I have a theory. Okay. <laughs> okay. And this it's, it's a bit out there, but I've thought I've asked this question a lot. Like, where did that come from? My dad said, Hey, all the trouble that you have in school and getting along with your peers and stuff, there's this pill that could help. And he was baffled that I went, oh, well, I won't take it. And he's like, why? Why wouldn't you take a pill that could help? My brother has dyslexia. And my dad would say to me, if Edward had a pill that could fix his dyslexia, he would take it in a heartbeat. And Edward goes, yeah, I would. You know, and I'm like, well, I hope they come up with one. Um, here's my theory. The first time I remember ever getting x-rayed, I was so sad and disappointed. I was sitting there waiting for the doctor to come back and go, everything's weird. This kid's a, a robot or a Martian. They're going to say you thought you were going to turn to Spider-Man or something. from like No, the, it's not that I thought the x-ray would turn me into that. I thought, thought the x-ray would it. reveal yeah. that I was 
different. Like special. You're secretly special. lined with adamantium in your bones. Something. Yeah. And they just came back and were like, yeah, you got a break right here. And I was like, and? Huh? And? Yeah. Years later, as an adult, I got an internal, uh, I don't know what you call it, an x-ray of my guts, you mm-hmm. know, and I had to drink the barium. Yeah. Yeah. And again, as an adult, I realized that I was hoping they would tell me something was weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so you're saying you lost confidence in the field of medicine and doctors no, because no, no, you were not Spider-Man. Not at all. You wanted to not be special. What I'm saying is I wanted to find out that I was a mutant, a Martian, <laughs> a robot. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be just another human. Yeah. And then they tell me you're not. You have this thing called hyperactivity, ADHD. And I went, okay, I'll take it. That's something. That's my mutation. That's my X-Men power. I'm hyper. Okay, bring it oh. on. And then they were like, well, we have a pill that'll make it go away. And I I think that maybe I was like, no, you're going to make me normal and boring. Normal, <laughs> when instead you just gave me a name for what I felt all along, which is that I was different. Mm-hmm. And I have to like mm-hmm. that I'm different or else I don't like me. Yeah. Like I have, and it's really hard because I know that it's, there's a lot going on with the psychology. I, I won't argue that I made the right decision. I still won't. I, I could take the Ritalin or something now as an adult, I can treat my adult ADHD and I'm still choosing not to, but I have an 11 year old and she's a lot like me and has similar struggles. And if at some point they say she's hyperactive and we think she would benefit from this medication. You're going to say, don't take it. I'm going to fight with myself really hard to do the right thing. Have you you talked to your wife about it? Yeah. And and where do you, where do you guys think you would land in that situation if they did recommend it? We would at the very least get, a second opinion from a qualified source, but we would the same thing with the colitis. Ultimately, I would trust the doctors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and you of know, course, my daughter would get to be part of the conversation as well. Right. Yeah. It's hard because, you know, you'd like to think that, you know, you're saying that that you felt like that was your special power that made you unique and different. And that's right. a struggle, right? Of being a parent, I, I would I would imagine is you want your kid to feel special <laughs> and, right. you know, have this have magic powers without having a disease right without having a diagnosis like that's the hope right is that they feel unique and special and different but in a wonderful way without a medical problem that needs that that if it does need pills it's okay to remove the specialness of a medical problem right so i think there's some part of me that doesn't want to accept it as a medical problem for you yourself or for your daughter or both or maybe in general yeah like People with ADHD, okay, this is something that I've never looked up. It was told to us by a doctor and I accepted it as fact. As I'm saying it out loud now, I realize I've never verified it. A doctor told my mom when I was young that people with ADHD tended to be very successful or to really have a hard time and were less likely to land in the middle. And I'm like, wait, but oftentimes tend to be very successful? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. maybe there's something to this. Well, yeah, that's there are a gift. I have hyper-focus as well as being distracted, right. uh, which certainly I can write a book faster than anyone. <laughs> I bang out a book. Uh, 
you know, my editors are always amazed when they're like, well, when's, you know, we'll give you a few weeks for the rewrite. And I was like, oh, I did it last night. They're like, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, it, if you take the Ritalin and you, is it possible to treat the, the negative parts of it, the parts of it that are a struggle and keep the parts that are kind of awesome <laughs> and are a gift? Would I be a comedian if I had taken the Ritalin as a kid? That's what I was going to ask. That was the exact question I was going to ask. And I was going to ask, are you worried that if you were to, and it doesn't sound from what you're telling me, I mean, I certainly don't hear that it's impacting your life in any really adverse way. Maybe it's not telling it you those things. I mean, no, it, it really, it, it is. <laughs> so are you, are you worried? Are you worried that it would affect your ability to write jokes, to focus on, on and write books the way you do? Yeah. I have friends that are state workers. And I had some success with comedy about four or five years ago that changed it for me. Now comedy actually is my career and pays my bills. Before that, it was a thing I pursued relentlessly while depending on my day jobs to pay my bills. And I couldn't do my day jobs. I was really bad at them. And I joke about it. I have a whole show about it. But the fact is it wasn't a choice I, I couldn't be a state worker. I couldn't even, I've never even finished the application process to be a state worker. And I've tried four or five times. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I'm amazed anyone can do it. And the well, reason I, I fixate on state worker in particular is I have a friend who had also severe ADHD, who treated it as an adult, who's a really good state worker, but he no longer plays with his band. <laughs> You know, the, the way to figure that out, I, I don't know, actually, I've not read about it in a long time. I don't know that there's long-term terrible side effects. You can try it for three months and see how you do or one month, like, and then you can see, you know, that is always the fear that like the depression and the drinking and the mania fuel creative juices. Right. And like, right. you're saying the same thing with ADHD, which sounds like maybe a hyper, uh, a milder form of mania to some extent, um, you know, cause it is. Yeah, you're making hyper- me like it more. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> it's, like it's, a, it's a little bit of cocaine. It's a little, not a lot, but a little bit. Mm. I don't, you know, you don't know, like I'm not the expert in that at all. I, I haven't looked it up or ADHD in a really long time, but there are ways to maybe experiment for a month or two without yeah. having severe health consequences or long-term consequences. I, I think that that would be a reasonable thing if you're actually curious if you want to experiment on yourself so that so that your daughter doesn't have to maybe you know what like would what drives me crazy is that I know that if I had done that experiment there was a point five or six years ago and it lasted a long time when I was miserable doing comedy because I was dependent on it because I was like comedy was paying my bills like a third of the bills and the bad day job was paying two thirds of the bills. Comedy offered a very slim chance of a future of a career. The day job offered none. And I was trapped. And I remember calling my dad and saying, dad, I want to quit and I can't. And my dad talking me out of quitting. But at that time I was like, and again, talking to my friend who is a state worker, I was like, maybe I'll go take something for the Ritalin, try it. And now I think, what if I did and I became a good state worker and I quit comedy? 
I never would have gotten because I'm so happy to have gotten to this place where I actually love comedy again and I'm making a living off of it. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you've been really productive with it. You've been adaptive with with it. The only thing that, you know, concerns me when it comes to this sort of thing, um, and we talked to your buddy, Johnny Taylor, another Sacramento comedian, and we talked to Maz Gibrani, also comedian about this, is that comedians will tend to be self-medicating. They right. tend to be finding ways around that. I mean, that's, we, we've seen stories of suicide in, in comedians, you know, I'm not even talking about like Robin Williams, because there's another sort of frontal dementia thing happening with him. But right. just with other comedians, it's it's not, uh, it's a, sounds like a, a higher risk group. And that's what concerns me is if you are medicating with other things. And I'm not that worried about coffee. I drink a ton of coffee too. But I mean, if you're using other drugs to get you more comfortable, to get you to the place you want to be, that's when I would be more concerned. Right. And I'm not. I'm pretty yeah. straight edge except for coffee. <laughs> so. so so speaking of comedians, though, I, I have one other question before we, we wrap up. And, um, and I am looking forward to catching a show live. This is going to be a bit random, but I honestly want to know if there's an answer to this because I've been thinking about this a little bit. Why most comedians that we meet, you know, we don't tend, we're not looking for people with a left-leaning point of view, but I really find it hard to find funny people, funny comedians who are like right-wing Republican. Why, what am I, am I missing? Are there funny right-wing people? Are there funny uh, Republicans that I'm just not seeing? Am I being biased? Tell me the truth. There are a few. (laughs) They don't put their politics in their act. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a theory why you can't be conservative in your politics. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, conservative in your comedy and still be funny. But that opinion is super biased by my own liberal politics. Sure. <laughs> but I think that the conservative viewpoint, even for people that subscribe to it, is cruel. Mm-hmm. And I think that they believe, well, life is cruel and they justify it but they're not able to laugh at it. They're like, life's hard. Someone's got to be poor. People are going to be at the bottom. They got this whole, like, it's just, that's just life. This, you know, right. Right. Uh, and it's hard to make that funny. It's and hard and to be cheeky comedy, it's all about punching up instead of punching down. Right. And when your position favors those that are up against those that are down, how yeah. do you make comedy of that? And they fail yeah. again and again and again or they just hide it is what you're or the successful ones hide yeah, it no i mean they fail they at trying to be political oh, okay. and be funny yeah right i mean yeah. look at dennis miller as soon as he started being conservative oh politically he stopped being funny but there are comedians who i happen to know behind the scenes are fairly conservative gotcha but they don't talk about it on stage mm-hmm. yeah but Care now talk. they're being outed because they're going and refusing to listen to anyone and doing shows without masks and <laughs> that's good. Now you can tell the who they are. Test. Right. Yeah. This right. Is that's pretty good. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. This has been a real blast to have you on. Let's make sure that everyone can find you. Where can we send people? What a wonderfully heavy podcast. Yes. I did not <laughs> expect this at all. No, I uh, loved well, it. It was like a therapy session. That we're all over wild. the place. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I should no, have warned you. That was my... deep. We got like your colon and your brain. That's pretty rare for us. Some people would say they're closer together than they should be. <laughs> um, 
the, the best places to find me right now are go on Amazon. I hate them, but that's, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, me at right. home. Yeah. Go on Amazon Prime and I have a special called Not for Rehire. And it's literally about all my struggles with staying employed. <laughs> um, I had over 30 jobs before I turned 30. <laughs> and uh, And I got some funny stories out of them. So that's my special. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Go review it rate it because that super helps with the algorithms uh and i have a podcast called keith lowell jensen presents the keith lowell jensen show with keith lowell jensen uh and that's pretty easy to find because it's the only show with my name in it three times <laughs> everyone there's every another show that has my name two times but i not as I good got three times yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, uh, everyone please check out the show check out his stand-up is really funny um and we'll be looking for the new book as well what's it going to be called again what I was arrested for, which was arrested no one for. catches that that's an homage to a Lenny Bruce album, but it is. <laughs> one guy that was like, oh, like Lenny Bruce. I was like, yes. Is it uh, the same name as Lenny Bruce's album? Yeah. He had an album called What I Was Arrested For. I have a book called What I Was Arrested For. So. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, we, we should have caught that then. <laughs> it wasn't that subtle. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have to say, I wasn't sure who Lenny Bruce was until I watched Marvelous Mrs. Meisel. So. Sorry. Oh, really? Well, I mean, I'm glad I... you were exposed. And I love that depiction of him as a fan of it's his. Great. Yeah. That depiction of him is awesome. I'd he heard was his the name. coolest dude yeah. ever. I heard his name, but seeing that show really like helped me learn a little bit of com comic history. It's great. Yeah. It's oh, it's helpful. a great show. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but thank you, you so That's much for coming for on that show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we were able to plug that show. Yes. It's a great show. Yeah. All right, I actually play Lenny Bruce on that show. So go watch me as Lenny Bruce <laughs> on Marvelous Miss Maisel. Thank All you right, so man. much. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you guys. Facebook will actually tag Will Ferrell pictures as me. Like that oh. for a while there, that was happening all the time. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I see it. I see it yeah. in the eyes. I get uh, well, tight digs. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.